And I just thought of it when you mentioned resilience, because mm-hmm. feeling all of our emotions helps with our resilience. Yes. Whether we feel happy, gratitude, curiosity, or we feel sadness, anger, it's by expressing all our emotions that makes us more resilient. And I believe it's okay for those emotions to sit side by side. Joy can sit by grief. Happiness can sit by sorrow. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another limiting belief people struggle with. They're like, how can I be happy? Someone in my life died. Mm-hmm. But you can have this emotion, this moment, this emotion, that moment. And they're all trying to tell you something. They're all trying to help you heal, yes. which leads to our resilience, to that growth after loss. This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. Our guest today is Chelsea Hansen. She's the author of the new book, The Sudden Loss Survival Guide, Seven Essential Practices for Healing Grief. Chelsea, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So um, could you give our listeners a background? Where did you grow up? Sure, sure. Um, well, I'm from Wisconsin, and you can probably hear my Wisconsin accent. And <laughs> I also have a very young-sounding voice as well. But I am, I am in my 50s, even though my voice doesn't sound like it. <laughs> yes, I grew up in Wisconsin. And um, the reason, you know, I kind of got into grief work is initially growing up, my father passed away when I was only four years old. Mm. So that, of course, shaped my growing up. I saw how grief should not be done. Because my father died in 1972. Mm. And you know how grief is now. We don't get enough support. And there's a lot of misconceptions and myths about grief. So imagine 45 years ago how it was. It was very stoic. People didn't talk about grief. And people still don't do today. But think back even farther. So my role model was pretty my mom. Mm. But I learned how not to do grief. And growing up, you know, I didn't really think much of it. But then later, my husband, who I met in high school, he had a similar situation to mine where his father died when he was only eight months old. So his family was, like I said, similar because his mom, who had five kids total, was left a widow. And she also did not know how to do grief because people just weren't taught Mm. and people still aren't taught today. So fast forward to when I was 28, my mother died. And of course, I didn't expect this because I thought, well, one parent already died. There's no way I'm going to lose another parent. You know how a child thinks. Mm. Mm. So when she did, it was a sudden loss. Thus, the name of my book, The Sudden Loss Survival Guide, because I was shocked. I was in disbelief. My world crumbled just 
pretty much like how any other person feels when they lose someone. You can't imagine the pain until it happens to you. It's, it's unbearable. And you hear people use that term a lot, unbearable. So here I am, 28. My mother died. I really, you know, I didn't want to go on because it was so, it was so devastating. Mm. And it, part of it was because I was an only child and I didn't have a lot of extended family. So, and the model I had for grief, it wasn't there. So I learned how to numb my feelings, hide my emotions, pretend I was okay. Kind of all the things people are taught in cult in our society today, at least Western society, how to handle grief. Mm. So I found out this isn't working. <laughs> yeah. You know, I felt more horrible. So eventually... I learned to start going towards my grief, to start embracing it, to start feeling it. And the way I did that was I sought out skilled mentors who could help me, professionals. You know, and this is over, you know, probably 15 years ago this started because I had such poor examples of how to grieve. So in my book, I think I, The Sudden Loss Survival Guide, I provide people a lot of tools, concrete knowledge, and the foundation they need for healing. Because we don't typically learn about grief. Why would we? In Western society, we're afraid of our mortality. We don't talk about death. We don't talk about loss. I mean, the typical person, the person who doesn't work in this in this field, but the normal everyday person who loses someone, they're not prepared mm. for what's going to happen. And especially if it's sudden where, you know, they didn't know it was coming. They had no way to anticipate. They had no way to transition, no way to change their plans. So my goal is just to help people get the information they need mm. to make their experience better because their experience can be better because grief, we think it passively descends on us. Mm. But we can actively work through it. And so many people don't know that. And if you don't reach out for help from a professional or someone who's been through it before, you're not going to know what to do. Yeah. So, so my growing up really was shaped a lot by loss because mm. I lost people at a young age. You were very young. You were four years old when you experienced a very significant loss. So how did you uh, process that? Well, I think when you're a little kid, you don't realize what's happening because at that age, you're pretty young. You don't have a big attachment. Mm. So what happened was I don't think I processed it until I was an adult because that cumulative grief stays with you. Mm. Those trapped emotions are in your body and you don't even know it. Mm. So, yeah, when I was an adult, I would say that's when it processed. And that's because. The loss of my mother. So I had mm. the first loss of my dad, who I don't think was grieved because mm. I didn't know how to do it. My mom never talked about my dad. I think it was she was just trying to save her child from the pain of it, mm. even though I could see her pain. So I think it's so important for children if they lose a parent or someone close to them, whoever it is, that the adults around them teach them how to grieve you know, how to process their internal feelings, but then also how to mourn, to have the grief come outside of them, to talk about it to adults. 
because mm. this will help them so much later in the light in life when they don't have this cumulative grief that they'll have to contend with. Yeah. And they'll have all these symptoms like depression, anxiety, what have you. And they might not even realize the cause. It could be yeah. this grief that they have. Makes sense. Um, were you the only child? Yeah. Yeah, I was an only mm. child. My mom was an only child. So I think that made the um, loss more significant because mm. we had a small, a small family. Yeah. So when my grandparents were deceased, and I think, too, in my mother's case, which, which made her grief more complicated was she lost my dad, but she also lost her parents all in about a four-year time frame. So a spouse and two parents. And then wow. you have this little kid. <laughs> so, you know, no That's wonder tough. she couldn't support me. That was tough. Yeah, right. And I think that's why um, working working in grief now, I think the work chose me because our life experiences shape us. It shapes the work we choose. But as a younger person, I would have never imagined I would have worked in the grief field. Mm. Um, but, you know, life changes us. We teach what we need to learn. We write what we need to learn about. So um, at what age did you begin to think about working in the field of death, dying, and grief? Well, you know, my like I said, my mom died when I was 28. Mm. And when I was 38, I was expecting my first child. And I had had a miscarriage previously. So with this pregnancy, I was quite nervous, worried because of my age. And... I think because I was having a child, you know, I felt joyous but nervous. You know, I wanted my child to have a good life. Mm. But I had this underlying current of grief in my life because I hadn't healed my grief. And that was about, you know, 10 years after my mom had passed away. Mm. So that was the impetus for me to start moving towards grief work Mm. simply because I needed to heal myself. And what had happened with my son is I was so nervous, so nervous about giving birth, like most most mothers. Mm. I went to a hypnobirther, like a practitioner, and she also was like a spiritual practitioner. So she really had opened my eyes up to healing. She had given me a different view of death. She encouraged me to continue the bond with my mother spiritually. In fact, she um, was an intuitive where she could kind of connect with the energy around us. So I kind of learned that the people we love are still with us. Mm. We just have a new relationship with them in a different way. Mm. So this opened a whole new world of healing for me because I thought my mom's gone, my dad's gone, the relationship's over, there's nothing I can do about it. But that's not true. I learned you can continue the relationship based on love, memory, spirits. Mm. You can still talk to the people you love. You can still feel their influence. You learn their values. And so many people in grief talk about closure. But I don't believe closure exists. I believe our grief will soften and subside, but our love grows stronger and our love is always with us. So if grievers can have just even that one shift in perception, wow, the relationship is still with me. It's just different. 
I can still talk about my loved one. I can still reminisce about them. I can still pull their love. I can still feel their values. So I think that shift in perception or perspective helps people because society will be like, you know, aren't you over it yet? When are you going to move on? <laughs> like yes. all the things grievers hear that are not helpful to them. Yeah. So if they can learn to ignore the things that don't help them that other people say, but the things internally that are helpful to them, if they can hold on to that, let that grow, I think that really will help. So for me, yeah, it was just that shift in perspective. Like, wow, the continuing bond is still there. So once I learned that, the whole world opened up for me. My relationship changed with my grief. Um, I wanted to start educating other people because I was pretty miserable probably for about 10 years. Wow. The first three years, um, you know, like every day I'd wake up, I'd remember the loss. So like I said, it was always that underlying current of loss. Mm. And a lot of the people I work with also have that. It's like, you know, three, four years are still feeling this loss. And, you know, I think that's normal, but everyone, of course, is different. But I think it doesn't have to be that way forever. You don't have to get stuck in grief. You can learn to release the grief. You can learn to heal. But you'll always keep your loved one close. You'll always keep their spirit close. Because so many people feel that, well, if I'm not I'm not paying tribute to my loved one. But I wonder if we could pay tribute to the people who died before us by saying, wow, I'm going to live my life in honor of you. Mm. My love pays tribute to you. My suffering does not pay tribute to you. You're never going to forget the person who died. You'll love them forever. So they'll be a part of your life every day. But you can change your perspective over time with healing, with grieving, that, wow, I don't really have to suffer to prove my love. I can prove my love by living my life fully in honor of them. Mm. It's really powerful because uh, you articulate what um, Dr. Docker, we interviewed him uh, last week and he spoke about uh, how grief theory has changed over the last 50 years. And he said initially it was the, the concept of detachment, but sure, now the sure. concept of continuous bond, which you articulate really, really well. Uh, that is, sure. uh, and many people don't know that. I think it's, it's a powerful concept to understand that, you know, you cannot fully detach. There's a continuation of the bond. And like you said, it's in a different way, but also powerful nonetheless. Sure, sure. And well, in 1996, the book came out, The Continuing Bond of Love. And I'm probably not quoting it quite right, but it's Continuing Bonds in the title. And all the research was behind it to prove this new theory. So, yeah, that was over 20 years ago where it just started first coming out. But I think it makes so much sense because then the bereaved person feels comfort. They feel solace from this relationship because how can you detach from this person that was so important to you? And so many people are telling you that's the right thing to do. Mm. But as the actual person grieving, that doesn't feel right. No, <laughs> so. it doesn't. You're right. So then... um is it then did you choose to study that in at the university or how did you come about to this level of professionalism in your sure, field of sure. grief? Well, 
I actually found a lot of different mentors. Like I studied a lot of different healing modalities mm. and through um, University of Wisconsin-Madison in, Wis- in Wisconsin, I um, did their certification there as a grief healing specialist. But a lot of my training came from practitioners who were healers. So like holistic healing practice, energy healing, a lot of research. I've read hundreds of books on grief. And I think it's just because I needed to um, help myself. But also what happened is I um, I run an e-commerce business called With Sympathy Gifts and Keepsakes. Mm-hmm. And it's all sympathy gifts to um, honor our people who've gone before us, pay tribute to their lives. So by starting that business years ago, that led me to study too. So it's because, um, you know, I wanted to help the people who um, needed help. So, yeah, it was my healing and I wanted to help other people as well. <laughs> so, again, <laughs> it's kind of like that our life history kind of chooses the work for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, since this is a hospice chaplaincy show, I have to ask, uh, what is the role of spirituality in your practice? Sure, sure. And for me and the people I work with, um, I think it's kind of not putting a definition on spirituality. Hmm. It's whatever it means to that person. It doesn't necessarily have to mean a certain religion. So. It's how they, I believe, where they believe their loved one is right now, whether they believe their loved one perhaps will come back in another life because so many religions don't believe that. Mm. So it's checking in with them to see what their definition of spirituality is. Because for me, my definition is pretty clear. It's keeping that continuing bond with my loved ones, because I believe there is a higher power helping us. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I don't like to put a definition on it for anyone. I like them to explain what it believes to them. Then we can guide them. Like, are there any painful beliefs they have around spirituality that aren't serving them? Mm. And maybe there are really good beliefs that are helping them. So it's always like, think about what you're telling yourself. Is that causing me peace or is that causing me pain? Because sometimes in religion, we learn things that maybe aren't helpful to us, Mm. um, depending on our beliefs. And once someone dies, our spirit is cracked wide open. That's when we have the chance to evolve and become who we want to be because we had this loss that was so horrible. So either we can move towards spirit, we can move away, we can examine our beliefs. So yeah, I think everyone is different and we just kind of tune in to what's happening for that person and see how we can support them. Mm. Uh, initially, you had said that um, uh, society has really struggled in coping with grief. And then I'm reading here from your book, you said, I learned how not to grieve. I fell prey to the unrealistic expectation that mourning should be done quietly, efficiently, and quickly. Talk to us about that. Sure, sure. Yeah, and that's really a big piece of my work because we learn so many things about how grief should be handled. Mm -hmm. Typically, 
quietly. (laughs) (laughs) And I say quietly because grievers learn fast that they make other people uncomfortable. Hmm. People are somewhat comfortable at the funeral. Not really, but they at least know the how to act at a funeral. But after the funeral is over, the griever is often alone because people do not know how to help them. They don't know what to say. Mm. They're very uncomfortable about their own mortality. And often the griever will lose friends or, I don't know, lose is the right word, but friends won't call as much or they won't come around. It's like the people you expect that will help you won't. And other people that you don't expect usually come through. So, and I think what happened is earlier, Mm. you know, let's say a hundred years ago, people were familiar with grief because people died at younger ages. Funerals were in homes. It was tight knit communities. So you had people around you to support you. But then as we became more industrialized and grew, you know, people lived longer. We had better medicine. The morning rituals that we had weren't there anymore. Um, You know, it sounds kind of old fashioned, but wearing black, you know, having a wreath on your front door to let people know you were mourning. So we just kind of lost a lot of those rituals, those ceremonies, that understanding And it's really no one's fault. It's just we're not educated in grief. So the griever themselves, that makes them have to be the advocate to be proactive, to reach out, to find the help they need. Because typically they won't find it around their immediate friends and family, you know, whether they'll have to go to a grief support group or a professional, because people just aren't trained or know how to help others who are grieving unless they've gone through it. Yeah. And because I think because grief has been avoided for so long in our society, uh, there, there's come to be a lot of myths about grief. And you seem passionate about challenging some of those um, <laughs> stories. Could you <laughs> address that for our listeners? Sure, sure. And one of the biggest things I think that makes me angry mm. and everyone has their own opinions about grief and everyone should have their own opinions. But when I was new to grief, you know, new to loss, new to sorrow, I knew nothing about it. So you're quickly influenced by the things you heard. And I recall reading that grief will stay with you the rest of your life. And I thought, oh, that's what happens. Okay. Because I didn't know any better. Mm. So I thought, wow, this is how it's going to be. So, but now I've learned that the grief subsides. You can release it. And as I said earlier, the love can say, because I see, I hear so many people saying, I'm going to be like this forever. Mm. That's how they feel today. But if you can open the possibility, well, you might not feel that way in five years. But if you keep telling yourself, I'm going to feel this way forever, Mm. that might happen. You know, we kind of create our reality with the thoughts we're telling ourselves. So for me, I released most of my grief. I feel I'm pretty much healed, if that's the right word. Everyone uses different words to describe grief. Mm. So I guess the number one thing is I don't believe grief will last forever. 
I think the sense of loss will last forever, mm. but I think you can heal. Um, so that's, so my first thing is just to be careful of what information you take in, because if it's causing you more pain, it's not going to help you. And then, of course, we have the myth that you'll be over grief within a year. We know that's not true. We have the five stages of grief. And those stages, of course, were meant for people who were contemplating their own deaths. It wasn't meant for the mourners. And it looks, and yeah, it seems like you're familiar with that, of course. Yeah. But then those five stages have been applied to everything. And I think they became so popular because it was a neat, easy way to work through grief. Linear, do these steps, I'm all better. But in reality, it doesn't work that way. Not everyone feels anger. Not everyone feels depression, let's say. And again, it was really meant for the person who made the theory that it was for people who were dying themselves. But it was so easy to grab on to. And I even hear the five stages of grief in cartoons. (laughs) So... (laughs) So it's kind of like people, you know, follow that thinking that's correct. And maybe that is the right theory for some people, but it might not be the right theory for you. Mm. So you just have to follow your grief, what feels, again, right for you, using your intuition, your natural inclinations. And um, I also don't like how people will tell others to move on, be strong. We really have to learn how to embrace our grief. When we go towards it, that's when it can heal. When we befriend it, when we tend tend to it, we can't push it away as so many people want us to do. People want us to feel better, of course, but that's not the way you heal. You have to go towards your grief. You have to express it. You have to do concrete, doable action every day, if you can, to take an active approach to healing your grief, to have it to have it expressed outside of yourself. Mm. Uh, We'll take a little break and then we'll come back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. This is Sol Bama. We are continuing our conversation with Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea, um, your talk on the myths about grief. Uh, let me just share a little bit about myself. I, I, my parents were murdered in front of me um, at the age of 12. And sure enough, um, at, the, at that young age and going through life, I ended up in a refugee camp. And yes, I believe that I could never heal. I believed that I could never heal from my grief. And many times I thought of committing suicide because I thought there was no hope for me. But now I look back, I agree with you, Chelsea, is that we can heal. We can never forget the loss. The loss is always there, and I feel the loss sometimes. But we, we have this continued bond that helps. I have a continued bond with my parents that helps. So, but grief... We have to work towards it. And when we work towards healing, there is, we can heal from grief. And that's where I agree with you. Yeah. In my book, The Sudden Loss Survival Guide, yes, I share um, 
seven practices that I think are essential to healing. Mm. And I call them practices because, as you say, we have to work towards healing our grief. Mm. So we're going to practice these healing modalities as much as we can to help push that grief up and out of us to release it, to mourn, Mm. because to mourn makes your grief go public. Mm. So we're going to push it up and out of it, out of us. But some of it also is internal grieving or internal response and feeling. So one of my first healing practices is to readjust. And what I mean here is just to understand sorrow, Mm. to learn about grief, to read books, to reach out. So you know what's normal in grief, because when you know what's normal, that'll help you cope better. Because often grievers feel like they're going crazy. They're not really going crazy. It's just they haven't felt such intense feelings previously. So by normalizing their experience, they'll be like, okay, this is okay. This is what happens when you're grieving, even though it's horrible. But then they'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay. I don't like it, but this is what happens. And then also I talk about the next project or next practice, which is to release grief. That means to allow and let it go. So throughout the book, I give different practices and how you can do things every day or when you're up for it, just so you're actively working towards feeling those feelings, letting these those emotions be in motion so you can release, so mm. they can dissipate. Because as, as you feel them, they will dissipate. You might not believe it, but that's what happens. You let the feeling go all the way through. Each feeling has a beginning. And another practice, the third practice is renew. And that's just fostering a support system for you to be an advocate for what you need and to learn how to recruit the right people to help you. Again, whether professionals, certain family members, other people have been through it. So you get the information, the support that helps you um, grieve Mm -hmm. naturally, authentically. Then also I talk about reconnection, and that is developing an ongoing spiritual connection with our loved one, mm-hmm. really the continuing bond that we talk about. And that's really my favorite practice because for me, that was the practice that made the difference. Mm-hmm. When I learned about the continuing bond, that's when the whole world opened for me. That's when my healing started. Mm-hmm. Then I also talk about reassessment, discovering meaning and purpose from loss. And here we do a reevaluation. Someone in our life died. I'm starting to heal. I'm starting to feel better later. Now what am I going to do? I understand how important life is. Are there things I want to do different now? Are my beliefs changing? What's important to me? Is that changing? So you're just reassessing. What do I want to do? What's next? And then also I talk about reassurance, and that's providing peace to those you love. And there, that's all about legacy, like getting your feelings out to them, expressing your love, expressing your lessons, expressing your wish family. So when you die, they have reassurance of your love. They're not wondering like how we lost our parents suddenly. We might not exactly know what our parents wanted for us, especially losing our parents at young ages. So if we can reassure the people now who are in our life, that's going to make their grief journey easier later. Mm. 
um, by giving them our love now. And lastly, I talk about remembrance. I give daily practices and ideas how to keep your loved ones alive in your daily life. Mm. So the joy and grief can sit next to each other. Remembrance, you can see your people in daily life. Like, for example, in my office, I see pictures of my parents right now. Mm. So just little ways to keep remembrance, remembering your people and that it's okay to remember. It's your honor, your duty, your privilege to remember. Because so many people are probably going to start pushing you away from remembering because they're not uncomfortable. But remembrance helps you heal. All these practices help you heal. Mm. And it's following your natural intuition, what you know is right for you, not what other people say. Yeah. And those are powerful, powerful practices. Um, What are you doing personally uh, in continuing bond? Oh, sure, what sure. What are your personal can, practices? That sure, you should, yeah. sure. Yeah, and talking about spirituality, mm. what I do, and I try to do it every day, is I try to mm. connect to the light, let's say. Mm. So I kind of feel light coming in from the crown of my head, going all the way down to the earth, back up to me. So I kind of feel connected spiritually. Mm. Then I just call in my, like I like to say it, my council of light. I like to Mm. use that term. But all that means is I just call in my parents to be with me, my guardian angels, whoever else I think is with me. Mm. It's like I can feel the presence with me. And people might think, well, that lady, she's just imagining it. But Mm. it doesn't matter if I'm just even imagining it. It Mm. still makes me feel better. So you can imagine your loved ones with you. You can talk to them. And so what if you think it's imagination? I don't think it is. Other people will. Mm. But if it, like I said, if it makes you feel better, yay. Yeah. And that's another way to express your feelings because you're talking to them. Mm. You know, what you've done in this book is you've given us names to something. As I look at these practices, it's something I've been doing. <laughs> without oh, sure. even realizing it. So the way you articulate it here really um it's a powerful, powerful guide. And these practices not only provide healing, but they also help build resilience uh to right, continue right. living, uh, surviving right. and even thriving despite of. Right. And one of the sections I talk about is um joy and grief so many people are afraid to feel joy because it doesn't feel right Mm. and i just thought of it when you mentioned resilience because Mm. feeling all of our emotions helps with our resilience whether we feel happy gratitude curiosity or we feel sadness anger it's by expressing all our emotions that makes us more resilient And I believe it's okay for those emotions to sit side by side. Joy can sit by grief. Happiness can sit by sorrow. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another limiting belief people struggle with. They're like, how can I be happy? Someone in my life died. Mm -hmm. But you can have this emotion, this moment, this emotion, that moment. And they're all trying to tell you something. They're all trying to help you heal, which leads to our resilience, to that growth after loss. Mm. And uh, it's powerful because uh, sudden loss, sudden loss has um, uh, a powerful impact. For me, like I told you, uh, there were many times where I thought of committing suicide because I didn't think 
I would survive. And, and what, I kept, what, what stopped you from doing that? <laughs> it is. And, and you see, every time I thought of committing suicide, it's like out here my mother say, God will make a way for you. God will make a way for you. And then that's I wouldn't. Your, that's it's your a, continuing bond with yes, her, right? That is actually what kept me. That's really awesome. I didn't want God. I, in fact, seeing my parents killed and, you know, we were Christians and God did not show up. So that really wounded my faith. Right. But in those moments where I thought of this is the day I'm going to kill myself, then hearing my mother's voice, God will make a way for you. God will make a way for you. I wouldn't do it. And that sure. is, you see, so, and I see that he has one of your practices. But also in most cases when we try to commit, um, when we can't deal with sudden loss in that sense, it's just because we are questioning, is there a meaning to life after this? Can I sure. actually find meaning in life without my dead loved ones? Mm-hmm. And uh, so your, your, your practice here on meaning making and finding meaning is powerful because at the end of the day, there's meaning. We can find meaning in loss and right. continue. And that mantra that you said, God will find a way, I'm sure that comes out in the work that you do with other people. You know, your mother's influence comes through in the work you're doing. So that's another meaning. So, wow, look at that. (laughs) I mean, that just influenced me, what you said, that your mom said. I'm like, wow, that is so powerful. So I think that's the way our loved ones live on when we talk about them. And look at that huge lesson that impacted you and now all the people you're sharing the podcast with. True. So what advice do you have for someone who is listening right now? And we are talking, even as we speak, uh, the world is going through a lot of grief. First through COVID-19, some people have lost their lives. Right now, there's a lot of marching around the country because of the grief of system, systemic racism. Yeah. So there's a lot of grief going on right now. Uh, how do you encourage someone who is listening, who is dealing with grief at this point? Yeah. Well, I think the most important thing is to honor your grief. For example, with COVID, you know, people would feel like, well, you know, I just can't go to a graduation. My kid's missing out on their graduation, but people are dying. So my grief doesn't matter. But everyone's grief matters. If it's little to you or small, If it's your grief, it's important. You have to honor it. Don't compare your grief to others. Let's let's not minimize grief. Let's not rank grief. Because as soon as we rank grief, then people are silent. Because, for example, if I say, well, my mom died, but your baby died. Oh, my God, that's so much worse. That makes me silent. So the same thing with the unrest that's happening. I might be like, well... I'm a white person. How can that compare to being a black person? But I can still feel grief for the man who lost his life. Everyone, I would think most people feel terrible grief. So it's just honoring your grief, not comparing it to someone else. Because I think we have a collective consciousness. So as as I heal, you heal. As you heal, other people heal. Mm. So I think the love is what helps us. So we can 
tap into love as much as possible. That kind of raises our collective consciousness. Mm. But really, it's honor your grief, identifying what feelings you're feeling, putting a name to them, and then expressing them. And expressing them can be simple. It can be talking to someone. It can be writing in a journal. Because typically, we feel much better once we get it out. We cry, we write, we talk to someone. Yay, I released some grief today. That is active grief work. I'm not holding it in. Yes, it feels horrible, Mm. but it feels better than the alternative of keeping it in and having it accumulate. Mm. Way better. You're right. Um, Wow, that's powerful stuff. In your book, you said, um, if you choose not to address your grief, you could lose years of your precious life, stuck and overwhelmed in sorrow. Experience continued emptiness, sadness, and pain that could have been prevented. Settle for a life that doesn't honor your true potential. Go from looking forward in life to just not caring anymore. Believe your life no longer has meaning or purpose, and you can't see any way out of your situation. It's really, really important to address grief. You can't run away from it. Right, right. And I think we might learn we can run away from it or, might, or we might try to run away from it because we don't want to feel the feelings. But it'll stick with you and lead to other symptoms when the underlying cause is the grief. Mm-hmm. And I just hate, hate so much for people because our lives are precious. They're limited. And I just hate when we have to waste time that we could have enjoyed our time more had we had the proper foundation for healing, mm-hmm. had we had the proper support, the proper resources, or just reached out to read a book, reached out to reach a professional. But sometimes we think it won't get better, but it can. We just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why I worry, right? feel bad for people who get stuck in the grief because they don't know yet there is a way out. And, you know, I understand we have to learn that ourselves sometimes, but I think sometimes people just are in it way too long when they could be feeling a little better. Chelsea, how can people get a hold of your book? Because I believe that you need to have this book. It's that powerful. Sure, sure. The book is called The Sudden Loss Survival Guide, Seven Essential Practices for Healing Grief. It just came out May 19th, and I really believe it's a foundation for healing. I think it really can help just about anyone in grief, and you can get it anywhere. It's on Amazon. Um, My publisher is called Mango. It's on their website. It's on bookstores. So yeah, but Amazon is a good choice. Um, Mango. Target, Walmart, everywhere pretty much has it online. And I highly recommend that book. Uh, Chelsea, thank you very much. My pleasure. Yes, thanks. Bye. That was Chelsea Hansen, the author of The Sudden Loss Survivor Guide, Seven Essential Practices for Healing with Grief. Thank you for listening and check out our new episode coming back in one week. If you enjoy listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show podcast, Please do us a favor and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to the show from. We really appreciate it. Thanks.